Hey, Vetfolio Voice listeners. Thank you so much for joining me for today's podcast. We have a very rich couple of episodes lined up for you all about veterinary technicians. We'll dig into everything from the evolution of credentialing programs to the gender balance in veterinary medicine, how to pay technicians what they're worth, and a whole lot more. My partner in this wide-ranging discussion will be none other than Paige Allen, registered veterinary technician. Paige is Assistant Director of Academic Advising and Recruitment for the Veterinary Nursing Program at Purdue University. She's also the NAVC Board President and an active member of NAFTA. To kick off this series, Paige shares her journey into veterinary medicine, and there are several lessons for our listeners who are veterinary nurses in the beginning or middle of their careers. So stay tuned. Let's jump in. Well, Paige, thank you so much for being here with me today. Well, Dr. Cassie, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to get to spend some time. You know, I'm a little bit of a fangirl, so I'm going to try to, you know, be grown up and not get too fangirl on you, but I'm excited to be with you today. Oh my goodness. Well, this is going to be a fun podcast then, because I think we're both kind of, um, I feel the same way. So we'll just both have to, you know, like you said, be grown up about the whole thing and and we'll put together a good episode. Awesome. Uh, so you are a registered veterinary technician on the current president of the North American veterinary community. And I just feel like I have so much that I want to ask you about your journey through your career. So why don't we just start at the beginning? Can you tell us a little bit about your entry into the world of veterinary medicine? Um, did, did you always know you wanted to be in this field? Yeah. So, you know, like a lot of us, um, little kid, um, I can't even remember a time that I didn't want to be in the veterinary field, but of course, initially, um, so I'm a little bit on the more mature side. So um, uh, there were not really veterinary technicians. People were not super aware of that profession. So I um, wanted to be a a veterinarian. Um, I even remember being little and the neighbor next door had um, a station wagon um, and had a bumper sticker on it that says support a vet. And I immediately thought that was DVM, right? but it was not, it was a veteran of war, <laughs> right? But my whole brain was focused to veterinary medicine and wanting to do that. And um, so did all of the sciences in high school. I took four years of Latin in high school because I knew that that would help me with medical terminology and um, went to college at South Dakota State University and um, maybe enjoyed my freshman year a little bit too much. And so living in this great state of South Dakota, there wasn't a vet school. Um, and so, Um, my advisor said, well, you're probably not going to get into vet school with the grades that you have. And I went home for the summer to try to reevaluate what, um, what I was going to do and how it was going to work, how I was going to get there. And I got a flyer in the mail that talked about becoming an animal health technologist from National College in Rapid City, South Dakota. Never heard of it. Didn't know what an animal health technician read the brochure, went, oh my gosh, this is exactly what I want to do. And so I really feel like um, God put his hand down and said, you don't really want to be a veterinarian. You really want to be an animal health technician, which is what we were called back then. So That's kind of the condensed version. That's fantastic to, um, you know, I've always wanted to be in there in the field and then to have found your way into veterinary technology, which it seems like has been a great fit for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I can't even, 
you know, I think a lot of people look at being becoming a veterinary technician or a veterinary nurse as a consolation prize. And even people will ask you, why aren't you a veterinarian? Um, were you not smart enough? Were you not, you know, did you not work hard enough? What was the what was the deal? And I always hate to feel like, well, I never feel like it was a consolation prize. It feels to me like exactly where I was supposed to end up. I just didn't know about it. And so then to find out that there was this whole other part that didn't involve surgery or, I mean, it does to some degree, right? But um, I just, the nursing side, the interaction with the clients, the interaction with the patients, that's exactly where I wanted to be. Gosh, it, it just hurts my heart um, because you're not, not the first, second or third person I've heard say, you know, refer to it more as like a, a consolation prize or say that people have viewed it that way. And it's just, it couldn't be farther from the truth. Uh, veterinary technicians are essential to everything we do. Veterinary technicians are so valuable. It is not a consolation prize. And we're, um, we're just so lucky to have wonderful people in the field who are so passionate about it. Yeah, it can be a little frustrating after 30 plus years in the profession to still hear those same kinds of comments that I heard as a young person of, you know, why aren't you going on to vet school or is this prep for vet school? It's, it's super frustrating. It's getting better. I don't hear it as often as I used to, but you still do now and again. It just, it, it drives me crazy. And I hope that, that what I'm saying comes across with the intent that I mean it with, um, of that. I just feel like it's, it's such an undervalued profession and, um, and so necessary and so important. Um, so yeah, let's get the word out and tell everybody what veterinary technicians do and that this is this whole, a whole career field in and of itself um, that, that we need. Uh, so like most of, most of us, you started in clinical practice. Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk about your years in clinical practice. I understand you have a background in anesthesia, um, which I actually started as in anesthesia as well. Um, I was not certified and nowhere near the level of knowledge that the credentialed technicians uh, in anesthesia that I know have, but I, I do love anesthesia. I love talking about it. So let's talk about it. Oh my gosh. You just <laughs> pushed my button. I'm so excited. <laughs> so I originally was in a private practice for two and a half years after graduation. Um, it was a mixed animal practice. So we did a little small animal. We did a little large animal. Um, it was very, a very interesting place to work. Um, back in the early 80s, things were very different than they are now with regards to regulations and, <clears throat> and how things worked. And I got really quickly bored and, and wanted to do more. And so applied to a job um, working um, in the large animal hospital at Purdue University. So I worked um, in clinicals uh, in the large animal hospital, um, first as a food animal technician, and then um, moved over to the surgery and anesthesia side and had one of the greatest mentors, Harry Latshaw. Um, he is um, a grandfathered RVT as a master's in physiology, just amazing the amount of information that he taught all of us who worked there and also came through as students. Um, and I just, I absolutely fell in love with anesthesia. I fell in love with blood gases. Like people think I'm crazy to love blood gases, but I just, the whole physiology behind it and how the body figures out what it needs to do and makes it balance. And, you know, nine times out of 10, if we do nothing, the body will figure out how to fix itself. Um, so I worked in clinics for, um, uh, 10, 11, 12, 13 years, maybe. 
um, and uh, loved it, but also recognized that um, as I aged a little bit, that being up for that colic in the middle of the night and then coming back and working a full, a full eight hour day because the hospital doesn't stop running, students don't stop coming just because we had an emergency, um, I started to look at other options. Um, I worked on my bachelor's um, in business administration. I thought if I ever left Purdue, I could go be a practice manager somewhere. All this clinical experience, get myself some um, financial and management experience. So I completed my bachelor's in business administration um, in, I think it was 1996. And about the same time, a job came open as our director of central supply. So here at Purdue, in our veterinary teaching hospital, it's where all of the disposable goods are purchased and where all of the sterilization is done. So I furthered my education there by becoming a, oh boy, a CRCST, Certified registered central supply technician. Um, so then um, after about three years of doing that, I got recruited um, in 1999 <clears throat> to come down to the veterinary technology program. We were starting a distance learning program um, and I did that um, for a very long time, longer than I did any other job, but I think, and I think I switched jobs over the years because I got bored and I wanted something new. Um, and during my time in distance learning, Dr. Bill encouraged me to get a master's. So I got a master's in educational technology. Apparently, I still didn't know what I wanted to do when I grew up <laughs> and uh, really learned about education and the foundations and the pedagogy, which is a word. How, how often do you get to use the word pedagogy? That's a right? great word. I love that word. Uh, I did that for, I uh, started in 99 and then um, uh, this is 20. So in 2017, 2018, I, I transitioned into the senior academic advisor um, for the veterinary nursing program. And so I kind of get the best of all worlds. I get that education part. I get to engage with the students. I do still get to go down and help out in different lab experiences that our students have. So I still get to, you know, play with puppies and kittens because that's what we do, right? Of course, <laughs> of course. How could, how could anybody have any difficulty in this field when all we do is play with puppies and kittens all day? Exactly. <laughs> but I do help in anesthesia lab, so I still get my anesthesia fix, and then oh, I good. get to help in the large animal lab, so I get to put a jugular catheter in now and again. So um, I've kind of circled all over the place and landed in this spot, and uh, it allows me the platform to be engaged with the public and talk about the profession and do recruitment. That is also part of my job. Um, and then still engage with the students and, and the patients and get to do some fun stuff there. So there that does sound like, yeah, no, it, it sounds like you really do get the best of all worlds, um, which I, you've got my wheels turning. Cause I was laughing when you said, um, you know, I, I still didn't know what I want to do when I grow up. Cause I say that all the time where, you know, I was, I was mixed animal in school. I came out and I was an associate small animal veterinarian. I've done relief. I've done mobile, um, you know, and, and all kinds of different things. And somebody asked me the other day, like, oh, are you going to, you know, do large animal again? And I was like, I don't know, ask me tomorrow. I'll figure out what I want to do when I grow up one of these days. Yeah. Right. And I think, you know, so much of that is from my, my motivation. And so I'm really intrinsically or internally motivated to do these things. So, you know, none of these things really came with a, a giant bump in pay. It was because I just have this continual desire to learn more and to do better and to do what I do um, to the best of my ability. Well, I think that's something that we have we have in common. Uh, many people in the veterinary fields, we do have this lifelong learning desire to continue to grow and be better and, and change and evolve in our careers. So um, that that absolutely 
hits home with me. Well, and I think so many of our young students don't really, you know, they, when they come here and they meet with me to talk about applying for our program, they, um, their, uh, their field field of vision is so narrow. They think um, I'm going to get this degree and I'm going to go back and work in the practice that I, where I take my pets and I will be a veterinary technician in practice for the rest of my life because that's where they see, that's their role model, right? And so I talked to them about, um, so Purdue has an associate and a bachelor's and the bachelor's is two additional semesters. So do two more semesters at the age of 21 and have a bachelor's because it opens doors for you that you never know. Like I never would have thought I would have been smart enough to do a master's. And I even chose to do a thesis because I wanted to defend my thesis. I wanted to have that experience. And really um, I did that in, in my, um, I got that in my early forties. So I was pretty sure I didn't want to go do a PhD because that sounds like a lot more work. And so that's why I did all of that for my master's. And it, to not know, you know, at 18, you think you know everything, right? And you know exactly- Of course, I wish I knew as much as I knew when I was 18. Gosh, right? <laughs> And so all the doors that open when you have a bachelor's degree, the ability to go on and get a master's, the ability to work in research or work in pharmaceutical sales or work for the government, they all want people with bachelor's degrees. And it just opens the doors in ways that the associate degree doesn't always do. said to me once, Paige, why have you, how have you done all these things and not, um, not let your fear hold you back? And what I've said is that um, most of the time I never thought about the fear. I just went, this is something I want and I'm going to go do it. So I think that's one of the things like I want to instill in the young people is to think about what can you do? Where do you want to go? And, and asking them that question when they're 18 to 21 years old is, um, is tough for them to answer, you know, and it was tough for me to answer. I never would have thought that I would have ended up where I am. I thought I'd be in private practice the rest of my life. But to look at those opportunities of um, having a conversation with the, the sales rep that comes into your practice, how did they get to do that? Most of them aren't vet techs, but they could be. And think mm -hmm. about the added ability of knowledge that you have if you're a veterinary technician and have an understanding of anatomy and physiology and pharmacology and being able <clears throat> to talk about um, those pharmaceutical agents that you're selling, right? Um, or being um, a part of FEMA and going out after a hurricane and rescuing all those animals. You know, people, they always show all the pictures of the people getting rescued. Do you ever see any pictures of the animals getting rescued? You know, you can't tell them to stand and walk through the decontamination tent, right? <laughs> you have to do that for them. Um, so I think about all of those other, I mean, food inspection, you know, veterinarians can do that, but also so can technicians. And you don't ever think about, how important food inspection is or research into disease processes or new pharmaceuticals. And, you know, I always talk to students that research is a hard topic to talk about, right? We all, we all in our hearts think about those animals that are used in research. And I, and I tell students, <clears throat> I, um, if I was a research technician, my job would be to make sure that those animals had the best life for as long as they had a life. And, and, it's not any different than taking care of a patient. You do the best you can for that patient in that moment and what's going on. 
So I don't know. I think sky's the limit, really. I think you're right. And, um, you know, as far as understanding that there's so many, uh, so many diverse opportunities out there. And even if you don't want to just go work in private practice for the rest of your life, which speaking from a veterinarian side, I think we have a lot of veterinarians who get out there and find the same thing, uh, that there's so many other things that you can, there's so many other reasons to go into veterinary technology, um, where you can have a, a fulfilling career in a lot of different ways. It doesn't have to look like this image that you know, you thought it was going to look like. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even, even those people who are in, who, who choose to, right, stay in a GP practice, I don't want to denigrate what they're doing, because what they're doing is super important that, that contact with clients, and client education piece that can happen and the ability to free up the veterinarian to do, you know, the four things that you guys are educated to do diagnose, prognose, prescribe and surgery, you know, I should be doing everything else. Um, and you, and you as the veterinarian, you do, you do those things better and well, and you've had the education for those. So if we can all do our job, we can all make more money and sustain ourselves. I know it's not about the money, but we all have no, bills to pay. We all have bills to pay. And I think you hit, um, you know, two big issues in veterinary medicine as a whole, right on the head there, um, that, you know, kind of to be sustainable um, and both mentally and financially. And if we can work together as a team, everybody's going to have a, a more mentally and financially sustainable career. I feel so strongly about working together as a team um, and everybody bringing things to the table. I can't tell you how many times, and I'm sure you've been in this position many times too, where it's the team that saves my neck in a situation, especially being a relief veterinarian, uh, walking into a practice with clients I'm not always familiar with, and walking into a team that's comfortable with the processes and the clients and uh, can say, oh, well, you know, I know you're thinking this with this pet, but actually two years ago, he dealt with this and we went about it this way. I mean, it's invaluable to be able to have people there to lean on uh, and just bring the whole thing full circle. And I know we're talking specifically about technicians, but I mean, the value of a good veterinary assistant and the reception staff and the, and the people who are in the back, in the back, taking care of the pets, you know, doing the, the feeding and whatever, and, and seeing that there's blood in the stool or something that they're going to bring to somebody's attention. I mean, the whole team, <clears throat> excuse me, has to function well for us to give optimum patient care. So I don't, I don't ever feel like any team, any team member is more important than the other. I mean, granted, none of us would be there if it wasn't for a veterinarian hanging a shingle, right? I, I mean, and I think that that could actually flip the other way too, of as veterinarians, we couldn't be there without the rest of the team either. Um, you know, like you said, shout out to the, the receptionists and the assistants as well, because they are invaluable parts of the team. It's all about working together. This is we, one of the big things um, that we, we deal with is we talk about compassion fatigue a lot and wearing out and not that th this is a fix to any of that, um, but it certainly helps when you feel like you're not alone dealing with it. Yep. And I think empowered, empowered is the word I want to use now instead of utilization. Right? I like it. I we're like all it. empowered to do what we're supposed to do. And, and, you know, the, the whole wellness issue and and I 
I'm a, a QPR trainer. And if you're not familiar with QPR, QPR, it's question, persuade, refer. It's a suicide awareness program. And so I train people to be um, QPR gatekeepers is what they're called. And really what it is, Dr. Cassie is, you know, putting down that stupid phone and making eye contact with each other and really engaging with each other and how are you doing today and how are you feeling? And so I think about the wellness piece of veterinary medicine and all of the struggles that we're having right now. And, and I think those struggles have been there for a very long time. Um, and they're now just really in the last few years bubbling up to, to, to the surface and people are aware. But I think if we take care of each other, that compassion fatigue thing can, can be I don't want to say eliminated, right? Because so many of us, we're fixers and we don't need to be fixed. We don't need help, right? We're going to do it by ourselves. So we're not going to ask for any help. (laughs) We're the ones who do the fixing, right? (laughs) Yeah. I guess one more question I would have for this, this episode, so to speak, um, would be, I mean, I know you heard me say in the beginning that I, I rely heavily on my technicians. Um, I love working as part of a team and, and feel strongly that I could not do my job well without that team. How, how do I express that to my team mm-hmm. other than just through actions? With one of my biggest fears, I don't want to sound patronizing. I don't want to, you know, I, I hesitate sometimes to really say it out loud of, you're valuable. I need you as part of the team because I don't want anybody to feel like I'm patronizing them or talking down to them. Um, what do we do as veterinarians to express how I th- I'm sure many of us feel, but we don't always know how to approach the subject because not everybody feels the same way about it. Right. Oh, <laughs> so if only there was one simple answer, right? Ah, oh, darn it. <laughs> I know. Oh. So, you know, everybody, um, Everybody receives kudos in different ways. If you haven't ever read the book, oh, and I'm going to have to try to remember um, the five love languages. Yes. Yes. So um, it really, that book is really about relationships and how do you learn to speak each other's love language. But I think it also is applicable in this kind of session section or session or area um, because um, everybody is so different. You know, some people want uh, a gift card, right? Or a bonus at the end of the year when, when you know where, where, where the clinic or the practice ends up at the end of the year. Or some people want a thank you um, at the end of the day or at, you know, when you're done with a procedure, thanks for your help. I couldn't have done this without you. Um, Or, you know, a handwritten thank you note or uh, go out to dinner or drinks or, you know, and some people like, I don't want to go out with you. I work with you all day. Right. And so (laughs) it, it, um, there, I think there's no easy answer. I think a thank you personally goes a long way, Mm -hmm. Uh, but also my love language is not gifts. It's more of, it's more time and acknowledgement. And so, but I'm also, very intrinsically driven. So I'm going to do the best I can because that's who I am. But there are people who, for them to do best, let's have a contest. Let's see who does the most fecals in a month. And then you get the prize of your choice, right? And so it feels a little bit like you're trying to to make money, right? But it's more about that spirit of competition, you know, sure. or, or who comes up with a, a new idea that we can 
incorporate in our puppy classes, you know? So I think it, I wish it was a simple answer of do <laughs> A and then B do this and everyone will right? know. Yeah, sure. Check the box. But I think we're all so very different. And then to recognize that and know what motivates your team and how and what motivates your doctor, right? I mean, to look at it from my perspective, motivate, you know, if I've got a doctor who wants to micromanage everything I do, how do I engage with him or her? And I tend to say him because I'm old enough that most of them were <laughs> hymns. Um, uh, how do I engage with them to help them trust me so that they don't have to micromanage me? So how do I advocate for myself in what I need, right? It's not all about what you do for me. But how do I advocate for myself to say, this is what I need. This is how I can be better for you and also better for me then, you know, and that, co that conversation. Absolutely. That goes back to that whole working as a team and understanding what's important to each other and working to help everybody on the team be fulfilled. But what you said about, you know, and I say him, cause I'm of this generation, that yeah. still a lot of them were him. Cause I think that's important for, yeah. to know that it wasn't that long ago that the profession kind of transitioned over. Yeah. When I was in high school and oh, I was yeah. with my boyfriend at the clinic at night um, and they raised cattle and the, and his, um, so I was still in high school. He, uh, she had to have a C-section. So I went in with my boyfriend to the veterinarian and I was talking to him and you know, this is the first C-section I'd ever seen. I was probably a junior in high school. And, uh, you know, I said to him that I wanted to be a veterinarian. And he basically told me that I couldn't be a veterinarian because I was a woman. Goodness and gracious. I know. So Jokes the, on him, right? <laughs> so the chuckle, you know, about in the late seventies, early eighties, that that perception was still very much out there in rural, large animal practice. Right. Um, I think women do a much better job with lab animal or large animals because we think about what we're doing and help the animal learn why we want them to do it versus the brute strength. Sure. We can't muscle our way through it. We have to think our way through it. Um, it kind of reminds me of, I grew up um, competitively barefoot water skiing. Um, I'm terrible at it just for the record, <laughs> but um, my brother is excellent at it. Uh, actually, my brother and my sister, they're both world champions. They're excellent. Um, and it, and it was that same sort of concept of my brother could always muscle his way through it. And so he could do whatever trick you wanted to, because he was, he's just a big guy and he's really strong. Um, but my sister could also do that. And but she had to have the finesse, like her technique had to be right on because she had to think her way through all these things. Um, and I think it's the same sort of concept of what you're saying. We can't just muscle things into, you know, what we want, what we want these animals to do. We got to convince them that this is a good idea. And then our technique has to be good so we don't get hurt. Well, absolutely. It, okay. um, as I think about the mentors in my past, so many of them, you know, um, were men because that's who the generation before me, there were very few um, women in, in veterinary medicine. There were, but it, it just was, you know, when I started at Purdue in um, 86, 1986, the majority of the vet classes were still male. And then over the years that switched and now the majority are female in our veterinary uh, DVM classes. 
And so just that transition of the profession as a whole from male to female has really changed. I think it's brought all of that wellness stuff to the top, you know, all of that life work life balance that I suck at um, because I, I grew up as a person who that's what you do. What do you think of the, the balance with, with this transition from male to female? Um, I mean, are we missing men now? Like, that is one of the things that crosses my mind of, okay, we've transitioned over, you know, to a female dominated profession. And, and I think that women do an excellent job in veterinary medicine, but are we now lacking the male perspective in veterinary medicine? Hmm. I think that's a really great question. And I am not a male, so I can't answer that question, but I, you know, I can, I'll make something <laughs> up. Um, I think that, um, Hmm. I think we are missing some stuff. I think that, um, you know, so that, that bleeds into a little bit, Dr. Cassie, the, um, uh, the whole money thing, right? I think that's why a lot of men don't come into this profession anymore is because they can't support a family because of the expense on both sides, the nursing side, nursing technician side, and the DVM side, and the amount of educational debt and trying to support a family, because that, not that that's a traditional men's role, but, you know, if you're a veterinarian and your spouse is, um, I don't know, works in a grocery store, I don't know, I don't, mm-hmm. you know, they're just, it's just really hard to make money with the amount of debt load that you come out of school with. And so I don't know if that's the reason that the profession has slid over or is it the, 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 the creation of pharmaceuticals that allow us to not have to do the physicality of, that we used to, that it used to require a man to do. I'm not saying women can't do hard work. No, no, not at but, all. You but know, there are, you know, just differences. Yeah, yeah. So I wonder... That would be a really great conversation to have like with a panel and get some perspective about what are we missing in the profession? What have we lost as it's transitioned from male to female? Because I think we've gained a lot, mm-hmm. but what have we lost? You know, and I think, you know, that, that, always, that leads me down the other rabbit trail of diversity and the lack of, um, the lack of color that we have in the profession, um, the lack of other types of diversity. You know, it's very much a white women's profession, veterinary mm-hmm. technology, even more so than, than DVM. Um, and what do we do to increase that diversity? How do we, how do we, um, I have friends who are African-Americans um, who are, in the profession and my age and said, there was nobody for me to look up to as a black veterinarian or a black technician, or I was the only black technician student in a classroom. And so how do we get those role models out and engage other people in this profession? Because I think the whole piece of diversity just makes us all better. I agree. I agree that I think we value from, from everybody's perspective. And so yeah, get, like you said, getting these role models out and, um, you know, really being inclusive in these ways, because, you know, we, we just all benefit when we have a good, well-rounded perspective from a lot of different points of view. Yeah. It's really fun in some ways to be old and look back at how things have changed, because sometimes it's easy to get stuck in 
it's been the same thing all these years and it really hasn't it sure. has grown and become even more an amazing profession than it was 40 years ago when I first wanted to be in it. It really is a, a neat profession. I mean, I, I, with all of its downfalls, I can't imagine doing anything else other than veterinary medicine. I know, you know, people will say, well, um, uh, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a registered veterinary technician. So it's not, I'm an academic advisor. It's not, I'm mm -hmm. a wife. It's not, I'm a mom to some bonus kids. It's I'm a vet tech. That's who I am. Thank you to everyone for tuning into this episode. We really hope you enjoyed it. My conversation with Paige Allen continues in the next episode as we get into team dynamics and the evolution of credentialing veterinary technicians. To find more podcasts like this, click on the education tab on the Vetfolio website. As always, we'd love to hear your thought on this session as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm at vetfolio.com you can also visit my Facebook page at Dr. Cassie DVM, and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day.